Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. We started out this year looking at what it means to grow into spiritually mature followers of Jesus. This is really part of our vision for New Horizons, who, who we want to become as a church. Uh, we want to be people and we want to be uh, a church that is bearing spiritual fruit and growing up, much like a tree would grow up and bear spiritual fruit. Our vision sounds like this. We want to be people who are deeply connected to Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, living as an expression of God's love to the world. Now, what this looks like is a planting of the Lord. It's like an orchard. And here in the Grand Valley, we get to see a lot of orchards. Uh, it's been a beautiful summer season, and now we move into late fall and the trees begin to change. But uh, we've had a great summer and a lot of fruit harvested throughout the valley. And it's such a good picture of the type of people and the type of church we want to be, where out of our lives, we bear fruit. Really, that's what scripture says, and that's what Jesus says is supposed to happen with his church. There is no such thing as just a green, shiny tree uh, that just has leaves and uh, looks good, but really doesn't accomplish much. Uh, in Jesus's church and how he describes those who are connected to him, the vine, that we are the branches, and if we abide in him, we'll bear much fruit. That's the promise, but it's also the mandate that we would bear fruit, spiritual fruit, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And that tells the world whom we belong to. That tells others that we're connected deeply to Jesus Christ. And so this type of church is one that is so connected to Christ that we have an influence on the culture around us as opposed to the culture around us changing and affecting what we do, what we think about ourselves, and quite honestly, how we function as a church. And, and so this requires a real depth of relationship, a connectedness to Jesus. It is so difficult to work countercultural in the world. And the only way that it happens is by really living life with Jesus, being in scripture, being in the spirit and in prayer, spending time with God's people uh, and, and just receiving all that he wants to do. That helps us be in this flow and be deeply connected to Jesus. The challenge again is that the church is and has been and continues to be influenced by the world around us. Particularly here in the United States, uh, the U.S. has been dominated by an entertainment culture. Uh, online streaming programs like Netflix, Hulu, uh, YouTube television, even just your cable channels. Uh, you know, we have a constant flow of entertainment and things that we can watch on our screens. It used to just be your televisions. Now it's our tablets and, of course, our phones that is a nonstop uh, stream of entertainment and things to watch. Unfortunately, in many ways, the church in the United States has adopted this entertainment approach to church, and it really focuses on people, the church, as attenders and consumers. And this is a profound difference from what Jesus described in his view of the church and what he said in Matthew 9, 37 to 38. His words are this, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So when Jesus was speaking to his disciples, he wasn't addressing them as attenders and consumers. He was addressing them as laborers and harvest workers. And by extension, he views you and I as followers of Jesus uh, in that same light, as laborers in the harvest, as workers, as ministers in the field. This, I, I can't overstate it enough, this is a profound difference than what the culture and the church culture views as our role in the church, which is pull up a seat and watch the performance on the platform. Uh, bring up your phone and watch the message, much like what's happening here. Uh, so this, in the, the world's perspective and the influence it has, would say this is all that is required of you is to watch this video and view it, and then that absolves you of anything else that you need to do. In contrast, Jesus would say, when we do this, this type of teaching and this interaction, this is just the start. This is the initiation point to which we then follow up and we do. Uh, we bear fruit. There's something that's going to be done. We're not just consuming content, but we are learning and discipling so that we can be laborers in his harvest field. Now you can see this contrast uh, in the slide that I'm putting up. Uh, shows how we want to be a church, New Horizons, that moves from the cultural norms to biblical norms as we view church. In the culture, uh, the church is an event, and that's compared to the church as Christ's body that I'm a part of. In the culture, my role is a viewer, but in Christ's body, I am to be a participant. I'm part of it and I'm active in it. In the world, again, the culture, I'm a consumer looking for spiritual products. But in scripture and in the church, I'm a servant sharing my life. A big contrast there, a customer, a consumer versus a servant who's taking up my cross daily and sharing my life. And then finally, uh, in the world, they view the church as one choice among many things I could do with my life and ways that I can engage. And in contrast, the church says that you and I are, we're, you're a necessary part and your involvement is needed in the church. So it's not just a choice, but you're necessary. It's, it's an important part of not only what you do, but it's what you're a part of. So again, this is a profound shift that people need to see and understand and needs to take place, including for leaders like myself, uh, because it involves a shift of how ministries actually function, right? And so we, you know, people like me, this can't be, this being on a screen and presenting a message can't be the end all be all. This is just one aspect of what we do in church together. And, and so there's an aspect where we are community together. We are serving together. There's an aspect where we are missional together. We're going into the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. If this is the entirety of what we do, then we have sorely missed the mark and we won't produce fruit, as quite honestly. It won't generate or 
the outgrowth of it won't honor Christ in the way that Jesus says that we're supposed to produce fruit. This is just that turns into a consumption of content versus a receiving of, uh, of a teaching so that we can disciple in the way and produce fruit. Well, let's look at today's passage because it really highlights how important you are to the body of Christ. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and it really highlights that we all, all followers of Jesus, have a part in his body. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much that you include us in your work. Jesus, that when you said, when you hung on the cross and you said, it is finished, you spoke of your accomplishing the work of redemption for all of humankind. It was truly done at that point. There was no other redemptive work to be done. But Lord, I also thank you that you also commissioned, after that, you commissioned the 12 and all the rest of the disciples, and you said, go into all the world and make disciples. So Lord, to take the work that you finished on the cross and lead people in that way into all the world. So thank you, Lord, that while you accomplished the redemptive work, you've invited us to participate in the discipleship work. So Lord, help us to hear it, to recognize our part in it. And as we listen to the word in this message, may it motivate us, may it, uh, God, lean into, when we lean into that and pursue you in the scriptures and in the spirit at this time. Amen. Well, 1 Corinthians, we look at and uh, we need to understand that the church in Corinth was really kind of a, a, a mix and, and, and a bit of a mess of all things churchy. Yes, air quotes around churchy. Um, there was strong personality-driven leadership. Uh, so there was people who were saying, why well, follow Paul or Apollos? And, you know, uh, they were motivated by uh, discipling behind personalities. Uh, there was very visible giftings, uh, spiritual giftings, and, and talent-wise, uh, people gifted in, in different ways that really drew attention from others. Uh, there was influential speakers, people with really good gifts of communication, a uh, strong sense of independence among the believers, meaning they, they had this sense of internal fortitude or, or confidence in their self, and that they they were convinced that they could do what was required of them, that, that they were capable of following Christ. So they had this strong sense of independence. And they really carried with them as a church, this, this church in Corinth, they carried with them this persona of success, that they had arrived, that they were doing things the way that the church should do things. But the reality is something was missing something, not just something, but the most important thing was missing. Uh, they could draw crowds. They could do, put on this performance of their gifts. But what they really lacked was the most important thing of all. They lacked love. They were missing the whole reason that you would do this anyways was to point people to the love of one another and the love of God. So when the Apostle Paul writes to this church, he notes their lack of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We sometimes refer to it, in fact, as the love chapter. Uh, but before he gets there, in chapter 12, and this is where we're going to look 
in this message, he sets them up to understand how it is that they missed it. 13, he says, you missed it. Love is the more excellent way. But 12, he says, I'm going to point out some problem that you have in your midst. And this is why, this is how you've gotten to the point where you lack love. How do they get to this point where love was lacking? It says that they became so enamored with the individual that they forgot that they were part of a body. They got so enamored with personality and personhood that they missed that they were part of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is Jesus's visible expression of himself here on earth now that he's ascended to heaven. So until Jesus returns, the church, the body of Christ, is his physical manifestation of who he is in the world. Now, that's a huge understanding that we need to grasp because sometimes we think of the church organizationally, we think of it socially, we, we think of it in terms of missionally or what, they're, what we're accomplishing. Jesus and the Apostle Paul here in 1 Corinthians 12 says, no, the church is more than just an organization, a thing or a group. It is the physical representation of Jesus upon the earth. That's why we're called the body of Christ. And so when people see the church, they're supposed to see the person of Jesus in this church, in the body. So let's read what Paul says is missing in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 26. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not exist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And of those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Well, it's such a great analogy and strong connection that the Apostle Paul is making between the physical body and the body of Christ. And it begins with this reminder, and that is that we are one. 
We're one body in with one spirit. While it's true that there are many parts within the body, the focus is the sum of the parts, not the attention that's given to any one particular part of the body. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13, it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So you hear the word one, 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 repeated over and over again. That's a reminder, right, scripturally, take note. There's, there's a message being conveyed and that there are many parts, there's differences, but it, there's a oneness that occurs because it's one body. Now, how often does it happen that when we think about or talk about the church, that it often centers around leaders with big personalities and big giftings related to speaking, singing, or signs and wonders? I mean, that tends to be thing that we gravitate towards. We talk about people's ministries. We talk about great worship leaders. We, we talk about great public speakers and, and these individuals. So when we talk about the church and, and we think about what, where it is, oftentimes we think about these individuals. Yet, what we're being directed to think about in relationship to 1 Corinthians 12 with Paul here is we're being directed to see the body as the sum of its parts and not just highlighting one particular part. In other words, avoiding a personality-driven individualistic church does not require that we minimize people and their gifting. However, it is important that we see all the people within the body of Christ as called and gifted for ministry, right? So this is part of that shift and Paul is addressing it in Corinth. It's not unique to us. I mean, we're certainly uh, riding that wave now in the church in the US is personality driven platform based ministry that highlights specific people. But Paul was speaking to it in the church in Corinth as, as well. He's saying, listen, Church, you're, you're too individualistic. You're too personality-driven. The, the important thing to do is not to minimize. We're not supposed to push people out because of that. Instead, what we need to do is have a better vision, a better picture of all the people, the diversity within the body of Christ. Everybody is called and gifted for ministry. So Please hear this, I'm not advocating for reducing influence or gifting. Rather, th what this is saying, what I'm saying, is that we widen the scope of our vision and we see the breadth of the church. This is where the real fullness and the full life within the body of Christ really comes out, is that we don't just zero in on individuals and then magnify them and lift them up above the body or or their personality and be drawn to them. Instead, we breadth, we, we spread out our vision of the church so that we see every individual within the church so that you're seen. And that instead of just taking one or two or three and magnifying them, we look at the whole scope of the church and we see everybody's gifted, everybody's called in unique ways that contributes to the whole body. So in that way, we don't need to diminish or reduce anybody we just mean to make more of the whole church. And, and so this is in part, at least, what Jesus was talking about 
when he was addressing people's giving and their donations uh, at the temple. He was with his disciples and they were watching people give tithes and offerings. Uh, so they were doing some people watching at church, right? You ever do that airport or, you know, try it at the church sometime. It's fun uh, doing a little people watching at, at church. And so this is what Jesus is doing with the disciples at the synagogue. They're, they're observing. People are coming by and they are dropping bills. They are dropping big dollars into the offerings. And then comes this widow. This widow with barely a thing to her name. There's obvious signs to them that she is impoverished. She has really hardly anything at all to her name. She reaches forward and instead of dropping a big bill or handful of cash into the offering, she drops a coin, an insignificant coin, something that would just easily be overlooked. But Jesus calls it out. He says, ah, disciples, disciples, that, that right there was an offering. What that widow did right there, that was a true offering. He calls it out. He says, why? Why was that the offering? Was that worth pointing out and having them learn from? Because he says, they gave out of their abundance and she gave all she had. Though she was impoverished, she gave all she had. In other words, Lord, everything I have is yours. When we look at the body of Christ, we are often looking for great talents, great influence, great gifting as benchmarks for success. These are the people who God uses. This is how God gets things done. And our eyes can get fixed on a handful of people a couple exceptional people who we think they're the ones through whom God is really going to work. Have you, have you ever said that? I know I have. I've looked at somebody and I said, man, if God could just get a hold of their life, whew, he could really get something done. Why? Because they're talented. Or, wow, if he could just get a hold of Bill Gates, or if he could, you know, if Jeff Bezos, you know, would just have a come to Jesus moment and he could just take the uh, you know, space launches and channel that into the kingdom of God. Wow, God could really get something done. Isn't that at the point of what we so often do? I know I've done it. Is we think that because there's talent, there's uh, an exceptional person, a gifted person, an influential person, that that's what God is looking for. And we miss the fact that God looks at his whole body and says, I don't need one or two exceptional people. I need my whole church. I'm, I'm not calling just a couple to, to uh, give of themselves. I'm calling my whole church. And so Jesus calls out the widow and he says, that's what I'm looking for right there. I can really do something with that widow. I can do something with that offering. This, when God has the whole body, that's how he builds up his church. That's how Christ is seen in the world. Listen, Jesus, we can't just point to one or two personalities and say, that's what Jesus looks like. <laughs> Woe to us if we only have two or three exceptional people to say, that's what Jesus looks like. No church, no way. We should be able to look and say, this is what Jesus looks like. And then look at the whole breadth of the body of Christ. 
the diversity, the men, the women, the children, the rich, the poor, the, the really gifted musically, and then those of us who can barely belt out the note, those who are really gifted with finances, and then those who are the poorest of the poor. We should look at the whole body of Christ and say, this is representative of who Jesus is, not just a couple exceptionally gifted or wealthy or talented people. In Paul's teaching to the church in Corinth, he really plays out this analogy again of the physical body being like Christ. And he finishes out this analogy with two important comparisons to avoid. He says, don't get into this trap. And he's talking about the parts of the body. He says, don't get into the trap because the body wouldn't do this. this these are the two comparisons. First, don't say that because you're not like them, God can't use you. When we give an account for our life, the life we live, Jesus isn't going to ask us, why weren't you more like him or her? In other words, the ear can't say, well, I'm not like the mouth, so I'm not part of the body. <laughs> That's nonsense. Just because it doesn't feel like part of the body doesn't mean he's not part of the body. It's part of the body. It's a necessary part of the body. So don't say that because you're not like them as you compare yourself. I'm not as gifted. I'm not as talented. I'm not as influential. I don't have as much money. There's no way that you can say that and say, well, so God can't use me. Because God isn't going to say, why were you not more like them? No, he will ask, what did you do with what I gave you to do? Did you accomplish what I asked you to do? Were you obedient and following through in the ways that I led you? Did you say yes to me? How many times did you say? Did you say yes to me every time? Or did you say yes to me when it was comfortable for you? Did you say yes to me when you felt like you were capable? Or did you say yes to me even when it was outside of your realm of comfort? So this is what the question is going to be. Did you do what I asked you to do? Not, did you do what I asked them to do? <laughs> See, that's, that's the, the grace and mercy of God that says, I'm not going to hold you. He's not going to hold me accountable for everybody else's stuff. He's going to hold me accountable for me. And he's given me grace for me. And he's given me mercy and redemption for me. And he's done all the same for you. There's nothing in your life where God's hand, his mercy, his compassion, his gifting, his provision, there's not a single place where he has been shorthanded or he has left you without what you need to honor and to please him. He's giving everything you need. He's, he's provided everything that you need for you to say, yes, Lord. And so the question is that he'll ask isn't, did you do what I asked them to do? Or why weren't you more like them? He's going to say, did you say yes to me? when I gave you all that you needed in order to do it. The other comparison that Paul points to, he says, don't get into this comparison, be careful. Second, don't say that because they're not like you, God can't use them. The first is a comparison that we make to others and we say, well, I'm not like them. The second one is don't compare others to yourself and say, well, God's not gonna use them because they're not like me or they don't have what they need because I, I'm gifted or I'm the one that's capable of doing this. So we don't need them. The body doesn't need them. They're not helpful to the body. Not at all. God uses every person who submits their life 
to him. We need every part of God's body. You need every part of his church, his body. There's not a single person within the body of Christ that God thinks you can do without. Do you just marvel at that? Because I bet there's some point where you said, you know, I could really do without that church. (laughs) Or you said, I could really do without that Christian or that person in my life. I'm going to challenge that because Paul says it here, and God would say it directly to you, you need that person. Now, you may not be best friends with them. Uh, You may not spend your life discipling with them, but the church needs them. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're part of the church, so you need them. Even those people who we just don't jive with, we, that rub us the wrong way or challenge us, you especially need those people. Why? Because they're shaping and helping you conform to the likeness of Jesus, because they're not like you. And so it's so important that we say, I need everybody within the body of Christ. God has them in his family, and so I need to ask him, how do I acknowledge and bless your whole family, Lord. So we don't like to say that we need people, but the comparison Paul makes is he says, I cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. (laughs) This is just not something that the body would say. Just because the hand doesn't, isn't used for vision, the eye shouldn't say, yeah, we don't need you. Not at all. The eye has a purpose, the hand has a purpose. What I think I need does not determine what makes the body whole. What I need is everything that God says I need within the body. Well, we wrap up this message. My emphasis, my encouragement to you is to recognize that you are gifted, you are called, and you are a minister within the body of Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's no ands, ifs, or buts. There's no exceptions. Everyone is called. Everyone is gifted. Everyone is is to bear fruit and supposed to go into all the world and make disciples using not somebody else's gifts, not somebody else's calling, but using the calling and gifting that God provides for you. When we do this together, we are together mutually built up and mutually edified. I believe this is the type of church, when you're convinced of that, when I'm convinced of that, we don't need superstars We need people. We need the whole body of Christ. And when we are convinced of that, and we all give what we have, whether that's of finances or our service, then we're all built up together. And that's when the whole world sees the whole body of Christ and they see what Jesus looks like in the flesh here on earth. This is our prayer. This is our commitment to be people deeply connected to Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, living as an expression of God's love to the entire world. Let's pray that he'll help us fulfill that. Lord, we thank you for your word. May we be emboldened by it. May it not, uh, Lord, cause us to come to conviction where we just feel down on ourselves. May it bring about a conviction that empowers us, that moves us to repent of any place where we've been slothful or or uh, God, overlooking our own role and only looking to others to fulfill their role. Lord, may it bring about a conviction and a sense of purpose and passion for what you have for us to do in this world. You've called us, you've equipped us. And so Lord, may we go forward using our gift to be part of the body of Christ, 
not withholding, Lord, not just serving or not just consuming, but we would shift from the culture around us and become fully the body that you call us to be. By your grace, we'll do it. By your power, we'll see it accomplished. And for your glory, Lord, we want to see it done. In Jesus' name, amen. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.